0: on the
1: computer
0: hey guys welcome to uh, another week of the two guys on politics podcast uh with me brian broking
2: and bill lipinski
0: and ray hannania and uh and, we had we go ahead brian we and, and this week i i guess we're going to talk a, a little bit about the uh the january 6th uh riots insurrection whatever you might have call it um Attempting. i i from my end want to want to set it up from the standpoint of where I'm coming from, which is someone who has paid zero attention to these kind of hearings and this, this different piece of the the political uh, spectrum over the past couple of weeks. Um, I think that part of it is, was I, I was at a wedding last weekend and I talked to a lot of people my age and I asked them if any of them were watching this thing. And even some of the people and I, I consider my friends, you know, pretty politically involved. They have opinions, they they know what's going on. And I don't think a single person told me they were watching this. So I think this is more of a, uh, you know, older generation kind of uh, event. So I, I don't know what you guys thought about it so far.
2: Well, as a patriotic red blooded American, I have only missed about 5% of each one of these hearings so far. And today I thought was riveting. Uh, by the same token, I seriously question what percent of the population is watching these hearings. Uh, Ray and I, I know, differ on a lot of aspects of, this, of these hearings, uh, which is good. It's America. We should have a, a debate. I really wish, though, that there were more people watching particularly people in Brian's age group, because they are the future of this country and they really should know what took place on January 6th. Now to get things rolling, I want to say that I was looking forward to these hearings. I figured the Democrats were going to, you know, set it up so that it was perfectly going in their direction, which it has, but I think that they have, uh, had so many witnesses that were Republican witnesses, that were inside the White House, that were staffers one way or another for Trump, that I think they're proving their case. Now, it started off very low when the chairman had to start off in the first minute and a half his statement talking about how he comes from the area of slavery, Jim Crowism, segregation, lynching, I thought that was totally and completely unnecessary. Uh, but fortunately, it's gone up considerably since that time. So that's where I want to start off with. Raymond? Yeah, I think
1: uh, this is more of a fascinating thriller novel than it is a case for an indictment. I, I, my personal opinion is that, you know, that, uh, and you know, I disagree with, but I respect uh, uh, you, Bill, a lot you know, I've known you forever. And it's great that we do have a disagreement, because then I think the disagreement helps bring out some of the aspects that I don't be, believe are being brought out by this hearing. I think from the get go, the hearing was biased. I think these nine members, seven of them are Democrats who hate Trump. Two of them are Republicans who hate Trump. Um, now, maybe that's the way politics should be. But I don't think that, you know, when we, when we try to look at issues like this in the past, when we looked at the Watergate hearings, uh, when I was younger, I watched them and I felt that there was a balance there. Um, And I thought that they really proved the, you know, with facts um, that there were crimes committed, crimes committed by the people that broke into the Watergate, crimes committed by the chief of staff of the president who coordinated the break-in and crimes by the president to cover it all up once it became you know, public, those were actual crimes. Um, I don't know if stupidity, um, I don't know if having a bad opinion is a crime. And, and because I believe so strongly in democracy, I think that you could have any opinion, it could be the worst opinion. Um, and uh, I don't think that that necessarily justifies crime. I haven't seen them provide any evidence that he told somebody hey, we're gonna to go to that Capitol building, I want you to hurt people, I want you to break this down, we're gonna bully Pence into refusing to certify it through fear. I, I don't think that that case was made.
2: Oh, well, Certainly that case has not been made, but let me tell you, all the people that we heard from today were Republicans. All the people that worked in the inner circle of Donald Trump we heard from, the only person that thought that there was a just cause in Mike Pence sending the electors back to the states or simply overturning the electoral college results was a professor by the name of Eastman, okay? He is the only one that he had conversations with many lawyers out of Pence's White House. They all disagreed with this guy. On top of it, this guy, the closer we got to January 6th, started realizing, uh, if he hadn't before, perhaps he was finally being honest with himself, the two scenarios that he was putting forth in behalf of Trump were not accurate, were not correct. They wouldn't have been legal. Uh, He never told that to Trump. To the bitter end, he was telling Trump that Mike Pence could do one of two things which could possibly make him the president of the United States once again. Trump's daughter, his son in law, his number one attorney, his private attorneys, except for Rudy Giuliani, all told him that he lost the election. You know, let the procedure go forward, let us have a peaceful, transfer of power the way it's been since the inception of this country i cannot argue with any of those people i think the democrats have done a very good job in scripting this i don't want to see this hurt the republican party i wish it would and i hope it drives donald trump into not running again but with him probably the only thing that will stop him from running is being indicted and being convicted, quite frankly. And if that happens, he'll protest his innocence and say it was a political show trial on the part of the Democrats to get him. I don't think the man has an honest bone in his body, okay? But I am hoping that more Republicans come forward very soon and say, yes, this was a mistake. This was an uh, insurrection. It should have never happened. And I placed a lot of responsibility on Donald Trump for it happening.
1: Listen, I think that uh, if the committee, this hearing uh, congressional committee were a neutral, fair or balanced committee, if there were people on both sides uh, that didn't come in with a prejudgment that they were driving to, the, these committee members have defined the road and they've gone down that road and they've taken what I think are issues of morality, what I think are issues of character, um, you know, and I think Trump has serious character problems. I am not defending him. Uh, people say, well, well, you defended Trump. And I, I'd say, no, I'm not really defending Trump. I'm criticizing the people who are criticizing him. I think the media is biased. I think the mainstream media is partisan politics. I think the divide in this country between Democrats and Republicans is a sickness. And I think that instead of bringing everybody together, the Democrats are exploiting it because they fear an election loss in a midterm election where traditionally whoever runs the White House loses the House and uh, the Senate. So I think that they are using every opportunity to take moral issues, character issues and opinion and arguing that somehow that is evidence of a crime, and I'm not sure the crime is there. And I think that a lot of Trump supporters, um, and maybe some people in the middle like myself, might actually turn to him, rather than allow this kind of thing to continue the way it is. He may actually have a stronger base if he runs for president than many people on the left expect.
2: Well, I hope and pray that that does not happen. One thing that the Democrats made a terrible mistake on was Nancy Pelosi refusing to accept the members of the House that the Republicans wanted on that committee. And yes, you're right. All the Democrats are against Trump. And the two Republicans who were picked by Nancy Pelosi, in reality, also are against Trump. So the jury is not an objective jury. There is no question about that. But I feel that I'm an objective individual in regards to this situation. I
1: think said, you are, I, I really think you are, and i and I certainly not r- ridiculing, you know, the credibility of your views. I mean, I think you make some pretty strong arguments. I just think that the arguments about him lying, I, I don't believe that anybody's proved that he believed he lost and that he intentionally lied. I think he really believed he won I think that was his opinion. And I think there were 859 people who took it to an extreme and they have been charged by with crimes for vandalism, for violence. You know, I think like nine people were killed, uh, many of them after the fact. Um, uh, But the majority of these people charged were charged with trespassing. And I've seen protests in the past uh, when it was a pro-democratic, you know, or left-wing protest. Um, We saw after the George Floyd riots, you know, the killing, the riots that summer, when the police and everybody stepped back to allow people to vandalize, to destroy, uh, but because it was a left-wing agenda, they allowed that, and the prosecutions, I think, should have been far worse than they were. So to me, this is all politics.
2: Well, I agree with you on the riots that you were just talking about. The police should have done something immediately unlike in the city of Chicago where they were directed to step back, let the band do whatever they want because we don't want to make the situation worse. Well, all you did was make the situation worse because these people got away with a lot. It's happened in a number of other cities throughout the country. Finally, the Democrats in San Francisco decided that they had had enough of this progressive district attorney they had and they had a recall and they turned them out 60-40. I'm hoping that that will start a trend that will go across the country where we can rid ourselves of many of these progressive, I know you don't like that word, so I'll use ultra left wing district attorneys that are really energizing people who rob, steal, uh, loot, you name it, because they don't think they're gonna be apprehensive apprehended, and get caught.
1: I would have said that we should be defined as progressives, but they have so tarnished that word that it would be like calling us anti-American or socialist. Um, The meaning of words have changed and all that. I don't know, but let's ask Brian, I mean, as a young person, what turns you off about this? I mean, because I, I do feel that I see a lot of young people too that when I ask them and a few of them, like my son, um, they're just not interested in it. And they think, I, I don't know
0: what, why do you think that is? What changes after this show trial? What what do they actually do? They can't bring on charges. They're not the ones who do that. All they could do is issue subpoenas. You could just ignore them. You know, Trump did, um, what was the point in like the grand scheme of the mechanisms of government of this event? I don't think it's anything. I think it's simply to show information that most people from my generation have had since five days after the event. I think it's, you know, these this kind of data that's been coming out over the past six, seven days. All of this was readily available on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you wanted it for for a week after it, and then we moved on because, frankly, you can still have an opinion on something and not, you know, think about it. I, I think there has been a general shift. Um, I've noticed between you know friends of mine, the the appetite for discussing politics is so much lower now. Um, I don't think anyone cares.
1: Is it because of the divisions you think and the fighting? Because politics has always been. You know, there's a lot of mudslinging. I mean, we're in the middle of an election where mudslinging is at its highest. And every election seems to be like that. And you put those two things together, this, uh, you know, this conflict that exists between Republicans and Democrats, this season of mudslinging. You think that kind of just makes things even worse for people that look at this whole process and wonder, you know, wow, there's something wrong with this or...
0: Um, I think it kind of goes back to the idea that what are you getting when you vote for a politician now? Um, Since so much of the policy in America happens on a national level or a state level now, local leaders matter less, even though those are the ones that could specifically actually impact your life. So we've shifted to a national level there. And then also we've seen the gridlock in Washington for decade, two decades now, right? No, no one reaches across the aisle. Everyone gloats about being bipartisan. No one's bipartisan. They vote, you know, how they're going to vote every time, 99% of the time now. So all that matters is if there's more blue or red in the House, and the Senate, if anything's going to happen. And then where the Capitol is. Everyone knows every president has about one or two bullets to shoot during their four years. They shoot the first bullet. If it hits and it's good, they get a second one. If they don't, and it's bad, like the infrastructure bill was for Trump, for, for Biden, you don't get another one. And then you get things like inflation, crashing stock market, crashing crypto market, um, all those sorts of things from there. So I think it's it's just become a point where it, as much as you want to think it matters, it doesn't. They don't do anything anymore. Nothing moves. They pass one omnibus package that has 40, 000 line, or 40,000 pages in it. Every year, no one has any idea what's in there. We just go from there, and you know, go to the ballot and flip your vote from R to D or D to R when the president swaps.
2: I uh, was uh, really extremely disappointed after the first hearing. Uh, I uh, text during the first hearing uh, with my son Dan. Uh, he was interested in the hearing. I was interested in the hearing. We text back and forth. The next day, I was looking forward to calling several of my friends, several of my relatives and asking them what they thought of the hearing. I didn't call Brian because Brian had already told me he wasn't watching, but his brother who was very interested in politics and government, also Connor, I text him to ask him about it. And he says, I didn't watch it. Now, he's obviously from a younger generation, even in Brian. But then I text seven of my friends who are all, unfortunately, over 65 years of age. One of them gets up to be 86 years of age. But he's on top of situations. He still really runs two professional franchises. He did not watch it. None of those people watched it. And all of those people as far as I am concerned, are at least slightly right of center. So I said earlier, I don't know how many people are watching this, but I wish there were a lot more watching it because I think it's a great lesson in civics for this country. I'll push
0: push back on that in the sense that I think we've seen over the past two decades that government doesn't do anything anymore. Um, you know, the, the government won World War II. The government built the interstate highway system. The government put us on the moon. The government hasn't done anything in the past two decades. They've shipped off, you know, all space travel to private companies, and I think that's been a shift, you know, since the 1980s. Of private companies are pushing America forward, not the public dollar. The public dollar doesn't buy any, anything anymore. And that makes people care less. If you're a engaged, intelligent young person, I don't think anyone would tell you it is easier to make a difference inside government than it is in the private market. I think the private market pushes, you know, innovation forward, and then the government taxes it and redistributes it. At this point, I think that's how everyone sees the government now, which makes it, you know, less important in that sense. That.
2: Well, I I disagree with Brian that government hasn't done anything in the past two decades, but that's a topic for another program, not today. Uh, I'd like to say one thing about the divide in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to say this because I want to pat myself on the back. I have said that the beginning of the end of bipartisanship in this country was Newt Gingrich and a guy by the name of Bob Walker from Pennsylvania, taking these special orders, attacking Democrats on countless issues and saying there's not one single Democrat here who's willing to stand up and defend that position. There was no one else there. They were the only two people there. It got to be so bad. New Speaker Tip O'Neill had to change the rules and have the camera pan. Okay. I've always maintained that position. It started with newt gingrich who i liked personally i served on a couple of committees with him it's a very nice guy when he was off the floor but yesterday i was listening to my progressive democratic radio station and several people on there blamed newt gingrich okay for starting these hostilities and then i was listening to a guy that brian listens to quite often a fellow who i think is very intelligent is not radical. His only problem is I have a hard time listening to him because of his voice. He also said that this started with Newt Gingrich. So as I say, I'm patting myself on the back because I've always felt that way. It was Newt Gingrich. Uh, listen, my final. On. Go ahead.
1: my My final comment on this is that uh, um, I think the bottom line is that uh, instead of bringing the country together. Uh, Biden has fed into the uh, divide and and widened it through uh, his inability to lead the Democratic Party. Um, I think that the Democrats, uh, this hearing is a kangaroo court. It's politicized. It's politics. um, And instead of getting to an answer, whatever they do, um, I think half of the country is going to reject it. And half of the country will embrace it. And I think that's a pretty sad thing because we're not rejecting it or embracing it because of the facts. We're rejecting it and or embracing it because it's coming from one political side against the other. And the final thing is I, I, I can't not say something about uh, Liz Cheney, uh, her father, Dick Cheney, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, and Colin Powell. Uh, when they uh, orchestrated an invasion of Iraq uh, that resulted in so many innocent civilians being killed. Many bad people uh, were killed, but many innocent people were killed on based on a lie that I think has more credibility to have been a prosecutable act than anything that Trump done, has done with his stupidity and his dumb opinions. Um, they should have prosecuted Dick Cheney and I would love to hear Liz Cheney say, you know, my father is as equally guilty as Donald Trump, but I, I think this is all about politics and it you, has nothing to do with the truth.
2: You certainly are a dreamer when you say that about Liz Cheney. You also well, forgot to uh, indict, uh, along with those three guys, President Bush, because of it. he was the final decider in regards well, to this.
1: But that's a good point because President Bush, I think was believing the advice that he was given by three people in much the same way that Donald Trump had been given advice by a lot of people who later may have changed their minds. Um, But uh, I give George Bush a little bit of a pass. Um, Although I think that uh, he was determined to prosecute this war, and their lies made it justifiable for him to go into Iraq when he did.
2: Harry Truman said the buck stops here. The buck stopped with George Bush. I had a uh, a meeting with those three individuals that you want to indict, they could not convince me one iota that I should support that war. That's
1: thought- why you were a great congressman, Bill. You okay. stood up against it. And, and and that's why I always, you know, for all the years that we've known each other, I've always respected you. And, and I continue to do that because um, it, it would have been easy to stand up and embrace the war. Um, and you didn't. You voted against it.
2: There were a lot of Democrats who actually voted against there it. There were. I don't know the exact number. I don't
1: know if Hillary voted against it though. I don't she didn't vote against it, did she? I think she voted for it. Oh, voted gosh, for I'm it. sure she voted for it, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was one reason why I couldn't support her in the first election that got Donald Trump elected. Anyway, listen, uh any other final thoughts, Bill, no, well, uh, Brian on, on this?
2: Not on this subject. I want okay. to know if Brian has anything to uh inform Yes, he about. does.
1: Yes, he does. On the uh, the crypto collapse, what's happening with that? Well, I don't know if he wants to talk about that.
0: Uh, I want I, yeah, no, to give a little yeah. update because there's, there's a couple of interesting points out of this. So so crypto has continued to collapse over the past couple of weeks. We're, we're down 75, 85, 90% on different coins from, from their highs of, of a year and a half ago. That was mostly fueled by the Interest rate cuts and the massive money printing we did. Um, but we, we've seen, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Terra collapse, the stablecoin that went to zero that caused market ramifications. And in the past couple of days, we've also seen Three Arrows Capital, which was a crypto hedge fund that has a lot of investments in different areas, including the stablecoin that collapsed, plus Celsius, which is a US regulated borrow lend exchange based in new jersey that halted withdrawals because they weren't liquid enough to take out that money so over the past three weeks we've had a stable coin collapse a hedge fund collapse and a borrow lend protocol also collapse all all, you know in a month what does this mean it does mean that crypto is in a in a tough spot right now um looking forward This is going to be the first kind of bear cycle of crypto we'll see in a interest rate hiking environment. A couple of days ago, the the Fed announced that they don't see lowering rates until 2024. So we've we've probably got, you know, eight more at least six, probably eight more quarters of Fed interest rate hikes, which if you see every time we announce a huge new, you know, 75-bit. Bit hike, the stock market gets crushed, crypto gets crushed, and we've we've been operating in this very very low interest rate environment over the past you know twelve years since the financial crisis, and we can't really put that kind of cat back in the bag. We we can't get around that anymore, so we're going to have to go back to that rate at some point. But we are in a a place where. Things are going to be hard to do over the next couple of years because of these interest rate hikes. Homes are you know, basically two times as expensive based on a mortgage now as they were six months ago just because of these hikes. So I, I do think we are headed for a, a full-on recession. I, I think the crypto market is going to struggle through it, but uh, we'll, we'll see it out on the other side. But, Let me point out that when I bought my first
1: house, I think it would have been in 1980. Uh, two, uh, when I was at the Southtown Accountants before I went to the Sun Times, um, the interest rate at that point was 14.5% for a mortgage. And the justification to take that mortgage, even though it was so high, was it was a tax deduction off my income taxes. and I could and it was something that I needed to offset my income. So I was willing to go ahead and take it. The interest rate was a great uh, tax deduction. Uh, To reduce my taxes. So there seemed to be a balance. But, you know, we're talking, when I look at the interest rates today, it's still, in my opinion, so very low. The question I have for you, Brian, is do you think that cryptocurrencies and these uh, bitcoins would be having this struggling the way they are today had it not been for two and a half years of coronavirus driven bad economy? If the economy was good, in other words, would they have? Would they be where they're at right now?
0: I think there's there's a couple interesting things. First is the you're right the mass printing of money with due to coronavirus pumped up crypto far higher than it was valued. Um, I think the the utility use cases for crypto aren't there yet. It's still very expensive to transact. It's still very expensive to do different operations on chain. The technology isn't fully there yet. It's still a very so. You mean technology. you mean like, you mean like when somebody has cryptocurrency, what can you do with it? It's limited. Exactly. Right. The okay. the full integration isn't there yet. We haven't integrated with the you know Goldman Sachs and Citibanks of the world yet. Um, that's kind of the next era. What a lot of people are comparing it to is you know the late '90s tech companies or what we just experienced. You know, interesting ideas, you can try different things. There's a lot of hype, but the the product market fit for a lot of these things isn't there yet. And I think we're seeing a correction now that is going to be able to weed out some of these, you know, less pure, less good agencies. And the good ones will survive and we'll build on that and go forward. I think that's kind of the the plan there. So at the end of the day, I think crypto is going to always be susceptible to these kind of boom and bust cycles until it fully has the grasp of core daily activities of Americans and people worldwide. And we haven't gotten there yet. And hopefully we will in the next couple of years.
1: Bill, there are probably some salespeople right now that are going to be calling you and saying, Bill, the crypto market is low by buy. The it, stock it is prices true. are buy, low. Buy now. Buy now, because it's going to go up. Are you, Would you listen I, to that Brian pitch?
2: I that all the time. Buy now. <laughs> I believe that cryptocurrency makes a comeback because the United States federal government is going to get heavily involved in cryptocurrency. Perhaps even issuing their own cryptocurrency. That's when it makes a comeback. It's an idea that will be solid in the future, not exactly the way the founders wanted it to be, because it'll wind up being backed by a federal government of the United States. All right. I'm finished. All
0: right. All right. My bank is empty. (laughs) I think everyone's is. We're we're in for a, a rocky ride these next six months.
1: All right. Well, I thought we had a great discussion. So, Brian, it's back to you then.
0: So uh, I guess we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks for joining us on another week of the Two Guys on Politics podcast. I'm Brian Brokey.
2: I'm Bill Lipinski.
0: And I'm Ray Hanania. And we'll see
1: you guys uh, next week. Join us uh, when we do our podcast uh, every Thursday on our Facebook page at Two Guys on Politics. You can go there. And by the way, I want to point out that uh, you can read Bill Lipinski's uh, columns at williamlipinski.com, correct? Or was it billlipinski.com? Bill Lipinski. Bill La- BillLipinski.com. Uh, you could read his columns um, the, the, uh, that you write every other week that appear in the Southwest News uh, Herald uh, uh, newspaper chain of newspapers.
2: Wrap it up, right, because right, we got to get back to listen to the hearings.
1: Right from the middle is the column title. <laughs> All right, we'll talk later. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Yeah, was,